So I have been talking about the Eightfold Path. Getting near the end. I am at, um, last week I was effort. We're in the last section of the Eightfold Path, which is the um, uh, concentration samadhi section, the, the wise effort, mindfulness and concentration. And so last week I talked about effort, that effort to recognize when there's thoughts in your mind that are not beneficial and to keep them from coming up and then to recognize when your thoughts are wholesome and beneficial and to cultivate those. Really, it's that it's, it's what we do in our mind and that effort is how we practice mindfulness. And mindfulness, it's, it's, you know, I was thinking about this today. Mindfulness is one of the factors of the Eightfold Path, but it's also foundational to this whole practice. Without mindfulness, without paying attention, really, I don't know how any of this is possible because we're lost in our thinking. And, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, 20 minutes here about mindfulness, but Joseph Goldstein... The, the, the sutta, the discourse about mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, Joseph Goldstein gave 27 Dharma talks on that. You can get him on Dharma Seed. So, I mean, you know, 27 Dharma talks on this, on these these practices. And he wrote a book called Mindfulness. And, and we're just going to kind of gloss over it. So this is huge. This is huge. And it's, it's, it's um, as I said, foundational to what we do. It's Without mindfulness, there's really not a lot of support for seeing clearly, um, for making changes, for responding in different ways. It's just when we're not paying attention, we're just going along with whatever is coming up with, wherever our mind takes us, which whatever thinking, whatever pops into our mind, that's where we go. You know, it's like the dog and what is it, up? Squirrel. You know, we're just like distracted by any bright, shiny object that comes along. Mindfulness is what grounds us in the present and in the seeing, oh, the shiny's over there, but I need to really stay here. You know, we see the shiny, but we don't, we don't follow it. And mindfulness supports concentration, which is that one-pointedness, that ability to be with what only what's present. It might be coming and going, but we're, we're experiencing what's present as it's, as it's there. Um, you know, and the Buddha said, we need to see clearly what's present in order to know the Dharma, and the Dharma is what is. The Dharma is, is, um, is the way it is. It's often thought of as the teachings, but it's also what is happening right now. That's where, when you're paying attention and you're in the Dharma and you're uh, allowing it to, you know, just envelop you and you're paying attention, that's, that's where the wisdom comes from. Seeing clearly what's happening. You know, like a couple of you were talking about, oh, watching the mind and then seeing, oh, this is what the mind is doing. Instead of blindly following it, going, oh, like you were saying, it's like, I don't actually have a clue what's going on out there. It's just my mind making up stories. And that's what the mind does. That's what those neurons are doing up there in those neural pathways. They're creating stories to fill in gaps to make, you know, to, to make sure we're okay. Make sure we're okay. Um, 
You know, what happens is there's a, we have, um, we receive sensations. You know, I talk about this a lot, and this is key. Sight, all our, our six senses in Buddhism is six senses. Thought is a sense. So we're only aware briefly of the sensory experience, the thought, smell, the taste, the sound. I mean, immediately when we started hearing that guy out there, there's the sound. And then almost right away, the stories start. The papancha, the, the proliferation of thought. It just, one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. I love that word, the Pali word, papancha. It's just like, it takes off. But what we do when we practice mindfulness is we stretch out that moment before we take off into thought, before we allow the mind just to run amok and do whatever it's doing, you know, when we get distracted by the shiny, the shiny objects or the, whatever it is we're, we're interested in. Um, the, we start with the ideation and the fabrication of thoughts and that's where we live and we live there most of the time without this practice we live there all the time it takes a big thing to bring us back into right here right now like physically you know if we if, or if we hear something that's like gut wrenching we, you know there's a physical visceral response Things like that, but most of the time we're like la 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 la, not in a bad, you know, deluded kind of walking around, don't know what we're doing way. But the mind is just just rolling along, and we don't question it. We don't question our thinking. We don't question how we talk to ourselves. So this is something I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was saying. Um, she likes to run. She's a runner. And she noticed when she's running, she's constantly berating herself. She's constantly saying, oh, you're no good at this, blah, 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 whatever it is we say to ourselves. And she just realized that. And that's been, she's been running marathons for years, and she realized that this has been going on without even questioning it. We don't question what our minds do what our minds say, what the fabrications that are created. We believe the stories because they're in our mind, therefore they must be true, right? I mean, they gotta be. If they're not, what does that mean? It just means that we are conditioned, you know, unpleasant, we want pleasant. Pleasant, you know, if there's pleasant, we want more. If there's neutral, well, let's mix it up somehow and get rid of this neutrality and get something good or get something bad going. So we need to slow down. And what is the, the what is the under what drives us into the um, this papancha, this proliferation of thought, this fabrication is 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 the greed, the defilements, the the greed, the um, the hatred, the aversion, and the delusion, the ignorance. You know, we're, we're, we're clinging to ideas or pushing things away. That's what feeds our papancha. And it's driven by our, our, our uh, conditioning. It's all driven by our conditioning, how we see the world, the implicit 
the, the basically the implicit thoughts. And I think I talked about those week, last week, those thoughts, those ideas that we have, those memories that we have that are below the surface that we can't easily put our finger on. You know? But that color, how we see the world, it, it shapes our outlook on life. It shapes our outlook on things. It shapes how we show up in the world. Like the, the story that you're never, you're always on the outside looking in. If that was your experience growing up, then that may tend to, uh, it's not always, but a lot, a lot of times it'll, those experiences will move in and just kind of be part of how you see the world. I'm always on the outside looking in. So if something, you know, and then we'll have confirmation bias. If somehow somebody, you don't get invited to a party or you hear about a party, that you weren't invited to, confirmation bias, see, I'm always on the outside looking in, what's wrong with me, whatever the story is. And that's just one example. And we don't even question it. We just say, yeah, this is, that's, that's it, see, I knew that. When the, whereas this, and that's, that's um, you know, that's craving, a wanting to be part of, or aversion, fuck that, you know, or both. Yeah. A little, a little of this, a little of that, you know. They're not mutually exclusive. Hmm? You got to mix it up, and then ignorance because you don't actually have a clue. You know, I have, I have suffered through that mightily. Those, those, that conditioning. That's how we. That's our suffering. We create. These, this papancha, this proliferation of thought, these fabrications, this second arrow that we shoot ourselves with is, is our suffering. And the Buddha says, you gotta, you got to pay attention. You know, I, I quote him really loosely. <laughs> really loosely. <laughs> but basically, it's, you got to pay attention. You have to really slow it down, recognize that, see what's going on, and be just the unvarnished reality of your experience without the fabrications. We're oftentimes afraid of that. We want to mitigate the fear, you know, because there's, and this is, again, so split second, we don't know we're doing it. It's when we stop and we slow down and we investigate then we start to see how this is what we're doing. So the Buddha says we just have to slow it down. We just have to... Mindfulness... The invitation to mindfulness is the invitation to a sustained contemplation of our experience, whatever it is, as it's arising. And when we, when we, when we apply mindfulness in, uh, to insight, to this, this practice that we do... That, I, that we practice every week or do at home, this really being with what's arising, it leads to wisdom, to seeing clearly. And again, that, that rolls into the first noble truth of, of seeing clearly. And then we begin to unravel. And so these, that's why this, this Eightfold Path is not linear. It just kind of, the more you get into it, the more you see it, the deeper it goes, and then that this, the, the factors support each other. And you continue to dive more deeply and, and 
the subtle, subtle nuances of how the mind works and how we create suffering for ourselves becomes clearer, becomes more and more clear, and we're able to let go. You're reading Ajahn Chah. It's all about let go. It's all about letting go. And that's what and we let go of how, what we cling to. We let go of the fabrications of the mind, our precious ideas of how the world is and how we are in the world and how they treat us. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there are not realities that we experience, but how we receive them and what we do with them is so important. So, what does the Buddha say here? Actually, in in the teaching of um, mindfulness, there are the four foundations of mindfulness. When the Buddha says that the four foundations of mindfulness form the only way that leads to the attainment of purity, to the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, to the end of pain and grief, to the entering upon the right path and the realization of nibbana. So, and it's, they're called the only way, not for the purpose of setting forth a narrow dogmatism, but to indicate the attainment of liberation can only issue from the penetrating contemplation of our, of the field of experience undertaking in the, undertaken in the practice of right mindfulness. So freedom is possible by paying attention by seeing clearly, by the contemplation of our experience with this practice of mindfulness, which is supported by effort, which I talked about last week. Seeing when the mind is clouded, seeing when you're lost in this proliferation of thought, when you're lost in this fabrication, and seeing clearly when you're not lost in these fabrications, when you're actually with your experience. How to do that? (laughs) how to do that well funny you should ask because there's like these four foundations of mindfulness which are just beautifully laid out really logical they follow on one another and not necessarily simple and as I said earlier Joseph Goldstein gave 27 Dharma talks on them Um, Analio who's a, a a monk, a Theravada monk, he's German, but he wrote his PhD dissertation on the, the Sutta, which is a really lovely read. It's quite academic. I read it many times, but didn't read the footnotes, because that's another whole book, book of footnotes. Um, uh, so, but I'll just go over it, for, you know, briefly here. It's the first foundation of mindfulness is the foundation on uh, body and breath. And that's, you know, what we do, number one, when we practice meditation. It's like, bring your awareness to your breath. It's always there. It's something you can connect with. Not everyone, and especially a lot of people who have trauma uh, in their backgrounds, sometimes breath is not most appropriate. So body awareness. Bring your attention to your feet on the floor or sound. That's a place of, of uh, connection, um, an anchor to the present time. So you find this anchor that's really basic, that's really simple. It's always available. You can always connect to your body. 
you may not stay there, but it, you know, this the thing is, where are your feet? It's that simple. I used to just put my hand in front of my face because my mind was going 100,000 miles an hour and I was lost and I was spinning. And I would just put my hand in front of my face, which was like a stop. It was like, oh, this. Sometimes we have to do that. But the practice is pay attention to your breath. Rest in the breath. Rest in the body. Really, um, you know, get to know what's happening. And I, and I mentioned earlier the postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. We're not just practicing when we're sitting in meditation, but we're practicing all the time. We're mindful of what our experience is. What are our sensations? Physical sensations. Feeling the breath. Feeling the body. Feeling the, the, the temperature, the tingling, the throbbing, whatever's present. Recognizing that. Being with that. I was, um, I was, I bought um, some pumpkin truffles from Seas. Yum. <laughs> and they're seasonal and they don't have them anymore. And I had, and they was like six in a pack, and I had my last one the other day. And I went, okay. I am going to be mindful as I eat this. Because how often do we do, we're just look? And I was like, I'm not going to miss out on this because I'm going to have to wait another year for it. So, it's, you know, it's like when you're sitting, know you're sitting. When you're breathing, know you're seeing, breathing. When you're eating a pumpkin truffle, know you're eating a pumpkin truffle. Really be mindful. That's how you begin to train your mind. What's the present experience? You we understand our actions. We know what is, what's happening right now. And that's, so that's why the instructions are breath and body awareness while we sit. And you can stay with breath forever. You can, there's another sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta which is all about the breath. And Larry Rosenberg wrote a book, Breath by Breath, where he talks, he goes really into detail about how just that breath awareness can lead you to, to nirvana, nibbana, cessation of suffering, cessation of craving, of clinging. So it's possible just to hang out in the breath, in the body. And then it also in the sutta, it talks about... Um, you really get into the body to understand the idea of impermanence. You know, what is this body? It's 32 parts as described. There's hair and nails and teeth and pus and bile and feces and urine and all the charming things that go along with that. Um, so we really have a, a, an intimate um, acquaintance with this, what do they call it, meat sack, you know? We're really an intimate acquaintance with it and what it is. And so we, which I think is important because the more you are connected to your physical experience, the, um, the more you can attune to it and the more you can learn from it because our bodies hold so much. And when we're connected to the body, we are, it, it really supports the cultivation of wisdom and insight. It's really important to, to have that connection. 
And so doing um, body scan meditations are really helpful. You can get, download them and listen to them. You know, have a guided meditation take you through that. And really, really is a grounding practice. So I, I suggest that uh, as a practice if, you, if you've never done it. So that's the first foundation of mindfulness. Really basic, grounding, important. The foundation of, you know, the foundation of the foundation, so to speak. And so the second, the second um, foundation is feeling tone, recognizing when your experience is pleasant or unpleasant. Because we're driven by this. When it's generally, when it's unpleasant, we don't want it. We want to mitigate that unpleasantness somehow. When it's pleasant, we want to cult to keep it going. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, please. The first foundation was it breath? Breath and body. Yeah, and the second is uh, feeling tone. Vedana, it's not feelings, but the, whether things are pleasant or unpleasant. You know, because that is really key. When it's um, when our when it's the under when it's pleasant, the underlying tendency is towards greed. More, more, more. That's the defilements that I talked about when we run off into this thinking. You know, it's like, oh, that was fun. When do I get some more? Blah, 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 however it goes. And when it's unpleasant, like thinking of this thing that happened yesterday, which brings up this sense of shame or feeling less than or anger or whatever it is, we're not used to sitting with that direct emotion. The mind wants to fix it somehow. And so we'll go into thinking about it in some way that, you know, mitigates it. However it is, thinking that person's a piece of shit or how am I going to get even, that becomes papancha when you start going off into that. That doesn't mean if some, there's a wrong, you don't at some point reflect on, okay, what am I going to do about this situation? But if you're in meditation, that's not the time. That's fabrication. When you say, okay, this is the time I'm going to think about this. Or you can, sometimes in meditation when emotions arise, you, you kind of have insights and reflections. In the third foundation, I'll, I'll, I'll jump out because it is kind of going into it. The second foundation, you know, when we're uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neither, um, if the emotion is pleasant, or unpleasant, or neither. It drives us to these various areas. Um, oh man, what was I going to say? It went away. Um, <sighs> I had my next sentence coming, and now it's gone. But when we go into the emotion, um, when when the emotion comes up, we're not used to sitting with our emotion. The mind goes right into trying to do something with it. So, oh, I know what I was going to say. So we have sometimes um, an emotion comes up or a thought comes by. Like I, I was on retreat many years ago, and I had this awareness, this thought arose that I just had this image of myself as an 18-year-old, and I was a mess when I was 18. I was a absolute mess. I had nothing going on in my life. I had nothing going on. I had no future. I was just like nothing. And 
what I saw that and what, and I, it, it was, it was there. The thought was there. I wasn't reflecting or I wasn't thinking about anything. The thought showed up. And then what came up for me was this tremendous compassion. And it's like, Oh, then there's this emotion of compassion that arose seeing me as a, you know, not like I was so fucked up, but just seeing me as an 18 year old from my perspective and having some compassion for that person that I was and having these in staying with the experience of compassion and great sadness. And then sadness showed up and hanging, being with the sadness that showed up. So that is a different story than moving into fabrications of a storyline, actually. This was actually, oh, the thought arose, and then the, and then the emotion arose, and then another emotion arose. And so just being with whatever arose, not needing it to be different, not fabricating or coming up, oh, my mother was less, blah, 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 you know, those kinds of things. Just, just being with the experience of right here, right now. Just being with that. So that's what the, the third foundation is, recognizing these mind objects. The Buddha said, when there's greed, know there's greed. When there's anger, know there's anger. Know what is present when it is present. So when the, somebody does you wrong, what actually may be present is sadness. But the mind is all caught up in the anger, I get down, instead of the hurt that's there. But when we slow down and we make space for what's, what's truly present, then we have time to see clearly. You know, we brush away the topsoil and see what's underneath. This is why extended practice, if you have a chance to go on retreat or even a day long, when you get to have a little bit more than a half hour or 45 minutes of practice, you really get to drop a little deeper in and have some stillness. And in that stillness, the underneath rises. The the mind settles, the papancha, the, the proliferation just really subsides. You give it a chance to subside because you're really making the effort to stay present, stay present, stay present. So. I think that's so helpful. Good. It's, it's murky for me. It's been murky for me. And even though I've practiced meditation for years, it's really helpful to be an acceptance that our mind is going to be like going to work. It's sort of like when people say meditation is stopping thinking. Like I'm finally not at that place where I'm like, actually it's watching your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so like in the same way, like I think I've had a misunderstanding about this idea that like if something happens, you should just like let it go. And it's it's um it's different than that. That's called spiritual bypass. <laughs> it actually is because people get into this place, spiritual bypasses. Something happens, and you want to get to being okay with it. So you're like, oh, it's all good. Impermanence. Oh, this will pass. It's like, no, you have to fucking feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that sort of like detachment versus non-attachment? Yeah, yeah. Detachment is like just... Yeah, letting go is not attaching to things, not clinging on to things. And, and this is, you know, 
different people have different definitions, but detaching is often thought of in, in this realm as like, you know, being a little bit, um, you know, stepping back from the experience and, you know, let it go, you know, denying the feelings that are actually there, you know, and so it's really, you can't deny the feelings, you have to feel them. Spiritual bypasses, people do it constantly. And they talk, in, in Buddhist communities, people do it all the time. They think, oh, I can't have these emotions. That's not very Buddhist. <laughs> anger, no, no, no. It's like, no, anger. You know, I was, last year when Me Too popped up, I just, I, there was some anger that showed up. Because all these, you know, my recollections of all my experiences, like, holy shit. And so this anger just moved into my chest and hung out there for, like, months. And so it's like, don't have to do anything about it. Don't have to get rid of it. Just have to acknowledge it. When there's anger, know there's anger. Okay, there's anger there. I can still go about my business. It doesn't run my life. I'm not reacting from that anger. I'm aware of it. I understand what's, what's there. It's not personal. This is where that, the teaching like rain is. Recognize it. Accept the emotion. Be a little bit discerning about it. See what's going on. And don't take it personally. I didn't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be angry today. It's just, it just was like, wow. This is like years, just because I'm not an angry person. It's not one of my go-tos. I'm the person who runs away. <laughs> um, so to have that was like, wow, interesting. Okay. And then recognizing when it's gone, when it's dispersed. It's like, oh, it's not present anymore. So really clearly, when you clearly see these emotions that are present, you no longer react you're no longer reacting from them. You can respond. You can see they're there and not let them drive your behavior. It's really important. And create more suffering. So that's really important. And then the, and then the fourth uh, noble truth, because we're getting, getting close to time. The fourth noble truth is objects of the mind, the dhammas. And basically, there's five sets of, of, there's five sets of lists. Um, as there are in these teachings, huh? I know, but in this in this list of four, under the fourth one, there are five. Um, so it's you know it's like when the hindrances are present, know the hindrances. When there's anger, or excuse me, when there's craving and aversion and restlessness and worry and 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 um, dullness and doubt, know that they're there, see them for what they are, I'll be aware of them. And on the flip side, when there's the, the seven um, factors of, of awakening are there, know when there's joy, when there's effort, mindfulness, um, uh, tranquility, uh, equanimity, know that. We so often push those aside and focus on the unpleasant. You know, I have to get in touch with my anger. And it's like, yeah, but you're really quite tranquil and joyful right now. Hang out with that. Be with what is. Be with what is. It's really important. The Four Noble Truths are in that, the, the list of the Dhammas. So recognize the, the truths of suffering. 
and, and discomfort and reactivity. Really being clear about that. So really it's basically no, just be mindful. Just what, just pure, clear willingness to be intimate with your experience. Whatever it is. And it's not easy, as you all know. It takes practice. The mind is so powerful. It's so deeply conditioned. But it can happen. And what I would have done if we had had more time is break you into groups. And the prompt would have been, and so I'm going to invite you to take this with you, is how has mindfulness, because you've all been practicing a while, how has mindfulness changed how you show up? It doesn't, again, with anything, it doesn't have to be grandiose. Maybe you can stand in line in the supermarket or stand in a long line somewhere and be fine. You know? Maybe you have more patience. Maybe you're more generous. Maybe you're able to not react angrily. Maybe you don't flip anybody off when you're driving anymore. You still do that. That's fine. You know, you start where you are. You start where you are. So what I have right, the process is not who or what we are. We keep our intention or aspiration in front of us. So the intention is to be mindful, and we do it as much as we can. When you're eating pumpkin truffles, know you're eating pumpkin truffles. When you're taking a leak, know you're taking a leak. I mean, it gets down to that. That. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is... Is metta or self-compassion part of the mindfulness, or is that another part of the mindfulness training? Because I felt like that was, because when I was doing a lot of the mindfulness, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff was coming up, mm-hmm. and it took, like, I never heard of metta until, like, I read the class, mm-hmm. so that, that's what helped me. Yeah. Because it's hard to just, like, see things. Yeah. <laughs> That, thank you for, for asking that question. That's a really important point. Being compassionate towards ourselves and being kind to ourselves is really important. And it, and it does come up explicitly in, this, in, the, in the factor of wise intention to be kind, to, to, to bring metta, um, to be of goodwill and to be kind. And also in wise action, you know, it's like being compassionate. So the being compassionate with our own experience is all part of that. The teaching of metta is not explicit, but the implication and the, I mean, like the, the heart practices are not included in this, but bringing compassion to our experience is so important. And sometimes, I want to say this, this is very important. Sometimes you, well, actually, you don't have to just go, all right, I'm going in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn towards everything. Sometimes you just put your toe in the water because we're not used to doing this and it can be overwhelming. So it's really important to know when to back off and to go to a practice of metta. If you have, sometimes we, we touch deep emotions that we haven't been interested in, in, in turning towards in our whole lives. We spent our whole lives keeping them suppressed and when we start touching them, a little goes a long way. So trust yourself and go in and then come back. And then hang out in meta, hang out in compassion. Absolutely the wise thing to do. That's that's why. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Any anything else? We have like a minute. 
But the good news is your mindfulness practice has brought you back. It doesn't matter how long you were there, you came back. It's like that's why sitting is the practice. It doesn't matter how long you were lost. At some point you came back, you recognized it, and you let go and you come back. So that's your practice helping you because, let's say 10 years ago, you'd have been there days. No, weeks. Weeks. Yeah, see? without an awareness of it. And now it's like, oh, wait. So don't berate yourself. Just go, wow, okay. Just be um, what I'm like amazed at, like, wow, that's powerful. You don't even see it. This is like the last thing in the world I want to do, the last place in the world I want to be, yet here I am. Because the mind just takes you. You're, it's not your intention. You don't want to do it, but there you are. So you, you forgive yourself and you go, okay, my intention is to not do that. And so we come back. 